0: I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them
1: and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point?
0: One of us will
1: prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller.
0: So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our
1: world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. What's up, Seth? How's it going? It's going great. How are you, Jonathan? Good. Honestly, I'm really excited because I'm pumped about a particular question that I have for you. I can't even wait through some painful small talk to get there. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be able to eat exactly what you want at every restaurant but never have a menu or only have others choose or order your meals for you when you go to a restaurant?
0: I think I would let other people choose for me. I think that could be really interesting. And I'm I just like food. There aren't that many things that
1: I don't like. So I'd be down. Yeah. You can pick yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing is like that's always going to be the case. So if you're eating with someone you don't like, they might pick something for you purposefully so you don't like it. But generally, I don't eat with people I don't like that much. At least not at a restaurant. (laughs) So, yeah, if I was with trusted people, I'd feel open to it. I just, I think I would mostly choose that option, though, because the other one sounds so hard. That's what, it does. (laughs) That's what I thought. Like, and I'm including in this, you can't, like, ask the waiter for recommendations. Like, the waiter or people who know the menu can't choose. But, like, you can't say, ooh, these two things sound really good. You just have to be like, I want a salad with these things. And you have to say everything that you want. And I don't know about how you and Patty are, but Abby and I are usually pretty bad at like, what do you want to eat tonight? Where do you want to go eat? What sounds good? And it's always like, what sounds good to you? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not helpful at all. So because making that many decisions i think would be so challenging i'm gonna push it all off to someone else <laughs> feels like a pretty selfish thing to do <laughs> yeah true <laughs> i didn't really think I'd think of it that way but it does yeah well coincidentally that's actually an excellent tie-in to our scripture for this episode so why don't you go ahead and read this passage from romans for us This is Romans 8, verses
0: 12 to 17 from the Common English Bible. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. If we really suffer with him, so that we can also be glorified with him. Awesome. What made you go with the CEB this week? That's a classic.
1: Yeah, it's a classic for us for sure. But honestly, this week, I chose it, ironically, because of the language, which is often a reason I choose other versions. This passage makes several references you might see translated in other versions to the flesh it's contrasting being of the flesh and of the spirit and i don't find that comparison helpful and i think there's been a lot of harm done a lot of harmful theology a lot of harmful practice of theology in the name of rejecting the flesh and trying to open ourselves up to the spirit and so this translation this is when we hear on the basis of selfishness That is what being or living according to the flesh means. And this language actually also shows up in some important verses just before what we read, too. So if you back up a few verses to Romans chapter 8, verse 8, you see people who are self-centered rather than those who are in the flesh Mm -hmm. cannot please God. And then Paul makes the contrast, but you aren't self-centered or you aren't in the flesh You're in the spirit. That's kind of the foundation for this passage. And we'll explore that a little more. But I appreciated the fact that those who translated this passage made that interpretive choice that is less about body bad, spirit good, which is traditionally a heresy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To instead make this about how we look at ourselves and consider ourselves in relationship to the spirit and in relationship to one another. So it was really a theological choice, honestly, that led me to the CEB. But enough about that. What stood out to you as you read this short passage from Romans? Okay. The line, if you live on the
0: basis of selfishness, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. I thought, I mean, at first when I read it, I was like, okay, if you live on the basis of selfishness, you're going to die. And I was like, well, I'm going to die. I think <laughs> I, was like, I was like crap I'm gonna die. with that I like that it translates it selfishness just like you were talking about I do think that that is a helpful it's like a helpful little turn right A helpful interpretive move that the translators have done I'm thinking of all the ways that people act selfishly and how that like, can actually lead. I mean, certainly, like kind of them to to die, or, or like, but also it can lead to others' death. If that makes sense. Mm. Well, yeah.
1: hold on to that, okay? Because I think that might be a helpful place for us to go. But I, I'm th- as I've thought about it, I don't know that we've actually gone to Romans yet no, on our podcast. I don't think we have, which is strange given how. I mean especially for a Lutheran I would think to avoid Romans for this long but uh, <laughs> we have this opportunity and Romans is a really interesting letter it's the first in the New Testament in order because of the letters attributed to Paul it's the longest that's how the New Testament's arranged and oftentimes people say oh this is this is Paul's theology this is his like his systematic theology i would not go there i still think there's some important theological ideas that come through but at the end we need to remember like all of paul's letters even though they're shorter that this is a letter written to a specific community for a particular reason at a particular time the unique thing about paul's connection to the church at rome though is that at least we're not certain but we're pretty sure that he only went to rome at the time that he was going to be tried and ended up being executed, it's likely that he wrote this letter earlier in his life to a community that he had never himself met, he had never himself taught. And so you can almost ask questions of maybe he's including more of these things to build up his credibility, to connect with them in another way, to then offer some encouragement and guidance. And a lot of that guidance seems to be navigating We kind of talked about this last week with Pentecost, navigating a space where the spirit is making room for both Jews and Gentiles and seeing how that group can come together. And it makes sense, too, that Paul would want to reach out to a community at the center of the empire in which he lived, right? You know, it'd be like if you lived in the Great Plains or the Midwest But you had a community that you at least had some affiliation with in Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles or some Mm -hmm. major metropolitan area that held a lot of sway and power. Connecting in those spaces would be important, both from a mutual connection standpoint, but also from an influence standpoint, too. I I just think that all underlying this is helpful because this is this is not paul writing say the church at corinth yeah. or the church at galatia the places that he's been where he's sat with them ate with them this is kind of a cold call yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what a cold call it is yeah, True. i like that you'd have
0: to structure your letter or your call so differently if it's a cold call versus one that that you're following up to right right yeah i can see why people think this is this is like a systematic theology especially if he's never right. been there like would it maybe be a little bit broader
1: yeah I mean, he almost utilizes theology in a broader way to support what he's saying to the community so in this in the very beginning of this chapter for example there's the famous verse there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what a powerful verse that is. And it was still for him just like kind of a segue in between two parts of his argument and what he was writing them to. <laughs> but that's that's what he drops in the, in that space. And hmm. you can think about all these other really famous verses from Romans that in a lot of ways culminate in later verses and chapters that talk about therefore what do we do yeah he's trying to offer this framework this theological framework to support how this community can actually start coming together i think you get to see a little bit of that in what we read today and i i'm thinking about that about saying how we are all god's children if we are led by god's spirit and that's that's reiterated multiple times And then saying that if we're God's children, that means we are God's heirs with Christ. And those are some powerful ideas. I I can imagine them being really meaningful to a community that's experiencing some pretty intense division. Just to add a little bit more background to what's happening in Rome
0: to that community, is the, the Jewish Jesus followers are exiled from Rome and then the gentile Jesus followers stay put and then a couple years later when when the emperor dies all the Jewish Jesus followers return so there's kind of there's like this power imbalance that's happening yeah. right with people who stayed and the people who have left and then come back and this like is this not just like a a leveling of that like that mountainous terrain right it's like yeah like we don't have somebody who's powerful and somebody who's like who's the newbies all of a sudden it's the same spirit agrees with our spirit that we're all god's children yeah Yeah, it's so interesting to think when we think a little bit more about the context like how how helpful this would be to try and deal with that situation
1: i was just gonna say that's a helpful layer of detail on that conflict that you know it's it's almost like an old guard new guard kind of conflict that i'm sure we could talk for hours about in our you know experiences in our churches and things like that but i think that gives us a good opportunity to transition to a conversation about application because it feels like this passage is offering us a few different ideas we i said before Right before this passage, Paul is talking about how those who are in Christ are not self-centered, but they're spirit-centered. That the spirit Mm. becomes Mm. our new anchor point, the new center around which we orbit, rather than ourselves. That's the new orientation we need to have, and that's an orientation that we need to share. Mm. And at the same time, we're called God's children and called heirs with Christ. And I'm wondering how you see that dynamic playing out in the life of faith today. What what does it mean? What does it benefit the community of faith to be oriented to God rather than oriented towards each individual self? Hmm. And it hmm. seems like a pretty simple question. Like, of course, we're not supposed to be self-centered. But there's clearly something here, something that we inherit something that God bequeaths to us, which is one of my favorite <laughs> words. That comes as a result of us being centered on the Spirit. It's the same thing that Jesus inherited by being God's child, and that is now extended to us. So I know I've been I've been dancing around this. But what do you see as some of the f- the fruit of that bequeathal? <laughs> <laughs> Does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. That's an amazing word, too. Okay.
0: (laughs) The irony to me is that what you experience from that bequeathal is actually like a sense of freedom. That when you're not like bound to your own selfish desires or maybe or as bound to the flesh as i as we might think about it or we might have heard it that somehow that actually frees us both to live for god and then also therefore for
1: others yeah it's almost like this orientation kind of locks us in to the way we were intended to be
0: yeah yeah you
1: know, the way the way that was inscribed on our hearts to operate I mean, I I still can't get over, you you talked about this a few weeks ago, Seth, uh, in a very encouraging way to me, but talked about Bonhoeffer's Christology, how, as we would say it today, how Jesus was a person for others. And that is the statement for Bonhoeffer that weaves together Jesus's humanity, he's a person, and his divinity, he's a person for others. And it's almost like by allowing ourselves to be anchored in the same way Christ was anchored, we can then exist and be the same way Christ does.
0: That was good. How did I come up with that? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm right though, Pro- and by probably me, I mean Twitter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like Michael Scott when he when he quotes
1: Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's <laughs> like Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening here is you just said bonhoeffer's words very well (laughs) but i think you're right
0: or he you're right in your interpretation of this roman's passage and bonhoeffer that it frees us to live for others that ironically
1: feels like freedom but that's a theme elsewhere in romans though is this idea of liberation from the flesh as it's traditionally translated or from selfishness and then being bound to the spirit which is still in the language of romans bondage but it's bondage that ironically is our freedom it's our pathway to liberation jesus serves as the gate to abundance not excess but enough that we can experience in community with one another it's a powerful theme that again even comes through here in thinking about what we inherit from god that god has also given to jesus so we talked about bonhoeffer now now we're going
0: to talk about augustine great <laughs> or augustine i never know it's just, somebody told it's me it's Augustine. i think it's augustine somebody told me that saint augustine is in florida and St. Augustine is in heaven. <laughs> 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 well, so that's how I remember it.
1: But, Augustine, who, important to remember, is one of the, not only, but first prominent African theologians. Yes. He's, his story is often very whitewashed, probably because he got in a fight with a Irish dude to some extent. <laughs> but <laughs> that's besides the point. Say what you're going to say about Augustine. <laughs>
0: augustine talks about this this inward selfish desire that we that we have and he uses this beautiful phrase in latin i hope i'm pronouncing it correctly in curvatus in say and it means to be curved inward on oneself Mm -hmm. i think that's beautiful it's like like we're all i always think of it like navel gazing like we're like looking at ourselves and we're just (laughs) looking at ourselves and we're we're not like experiencing everything else and everyone else who's around us and the ways that that we can see and
1: turn to them like we're too inward focused right i think
0: that's a beautiful line
1: yeah and it's so it's so funny because that that idea like to physically navel gaze you might be able to focus on some things particularly well but that posture is so ineffective and honestly dangerous for navigating any situation that requires any sort of agility or mobility or, like, just general awareness of what's going on around you. Like, you can do some things well in that frame of mind, but I don't think you can do what you were made to do well Yeah, when you are simply focusing on what is in your belly button. so seth let's let's wrap this up by thinking a little bit about what we can do to use that inheritance wisely Mm -hmm. like what's what's a way that we can start to shift our focus from ourselves not forgetting about ourselves that's one thing i actually appreciate that about this not forgetting about ourselves, but operating in a way where we are not the center, where we are included in the orbit around the spirit. What's one thing that you can think of that you can do to try and move in that direction? One way I
0: think we can stop looking at our belly button and kind of sit up to, to see the world and everyone else around us is actually to spend time with people and I'm fairly introverted so it can be a little tiring for me but I also think the more time that I spend with other people the more that helps me focus on other people and the needs that they have and their stories and like their goals and to stop thinking about what what my needs are and my goals and my story so I think for me just one of the ways that we can we can learn to maybe see others for everything that they are and to serve them is to be with them, which presents its own challenges in a pandemic. But I also think it, yeah. there's some opportunities as we exit the pandemic. And there's also some opportunities thanks to the wonders of technology, hopefully. Hopefully we're exiting this pandemic slowly.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I. That's where my mind went immediately too. It's just the new opportunities we have to be present with one another, and I think for me, that's been a challenge of the past fourteen months. Is I'm, yeah. I'm so isolated into, what is best for me? What's in my own interests? And those, those things are important. I think for too long, my church experience has taught me that you need to completely forget about those conversations to have these conversations, and you don't. But maybe the question is, how are we being called forward together? How can we be part of something together that is bigger than any one of us? How can I then explore my own goals and desires and interests and passions in ways that align with that broader I mean, vision hmm, not are hmm. completely removed from or separate from but how can those pursuits coexist and co-mingle and become one and the same that my pursuit of growth and pursuit of god with others becomes right in line with my pursuit that i might be thinking about on my own but i think that that shift of not forgetting about ourselves, but allowing us to be part of something bigger. I, I think about that in the life of God and the life of worship, too. That it is, it is both all about us and not at <laughs> yeah. all about us. At this And that paradox is so profound. And I think it's helpful to translate into thinking about the life of the Christian trying to figure out their way in the world. That you do need to figure out what are meaningful ways for you to connect with the divine What are meaningful practices for you to rest in the spirit? But that's not the end. That's not all that there is. Part of it too is figuring out how to live with one another. Part of it is figuring out how do we order our communities in ways that don't leave anyone behind or cast anyone aside or intentionally push people away. It's all of that wrapped up into one, the lived experience of the community together with our own pursuits along the way, which is why it can be so damn hard sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's easier to navel gaze. Augustine talks about being curved inward on ourselves. That's like the default position that like we the temptation is always to return to that like so it's like a it's like a constant fight against that that desire to keep keep turning inside
1: yeah thank goodness we've been liberated from that or are being liberated from that maybe it's a better way to frame it yeah that's still ongoing yeah it's like it's a both and again right (laughs) like it's the that's the tension of faith well can i pray for us that we can receive God's inheritance with grace and endurance and love.
0: Yeah, I hope you used the word bequeathal, though.
1: <laughs> I don't. Okay. I did almost address God, honestly, in this prayer I prepared. I did almost address God as bequeathing one, and I was like, that's <laughs> too much. <laughs> it's giving one instead, you, which I You like. could
0: say Abba. Father,
1: I could I could I let's just pray how about that (laughs) okay (laughs) I think that's that's a good direction to go from here great let's pray giving one like the father in the story Jesus told you tell us that all you have is ours help us to steward your creation our inheritance with mindful care Fully aware that your story does not end when we cease to be. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray the name of the Eternal One, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're talking about Mark
0: chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. So, mark your calendar. Oh, my God. (laughs) But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan.
1: Thanks for helping me tell it.